Busters, as Mark had already mentioned. And if you go ahead and pull out your bulletins, you're going to find in your bulletins uh, a couple of yellow sheets of paper. First of all, pull out the one that says Bruce, me almighty on the top of it. And that's going to be your outlines this morning. I've got some blanks for you to fill out. But also in there, you're going to actually you're not going to see this. I put this in mind, but uh, you will find these in the back in the foyer. Man, we would love for you to grab a few of these, take them around your subdivision, pass them out um, sometime this week. Get the word out that we're doing a new series and invite some friends, invite some family members or neighbors, whatever. But on, in your bulletins, you'll find this sheet. And we're going we're gonna, to uh, take some notes this morning. I w- I'd like for you to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. It's kind of where we're going to focus this morning. And we're going to do a series the next four weeks on some different movies, some different blockbusters from years past. Some movies that made a lot of money. And like I said, when summer comes, I love to go to the movies because it's hot, the days are long, the kids are out of school, I got a lot of free time on my hand. I love to go check out the movies. And I know that a lot of you do as well. Um, And I know that a lot of Americans love to go to the movie theater. Millions and millions of people go to the movies every year. And they make billions and billions of dollars. And this week, we're going to talk about Bruce Almighty. And Bruce Almighty, two, was it two years ago or last year? I can't remember if it was, I think it was last year, actually made $262 million at the box office. So it was definitely a summer blockbuster. And I know some of you, you, you may be struggling with this because you're saying, you know, I don't necessarily agree with some of those movies or whatever. I don't necessarily like the content. I want to tell you, I know that Hollywood puts out a lot of junk. I know that Hollywood puts out a lot of things that we wouldn't condone as a church that Christians don't agree with, but I think that Hollywood also puts out some things that we can learn from. There are some, some truths, some redeeming value in some of these movies that you guys will see that we can gain. And I believe that there are some things from, from Bruce Almighty that can help us in our, our Christian walk. And I think that we can learn things from Hollywood. And I, I actually went on the internet and, and I found the thing about some things that we can learn from movies or that we have learned from movies over the past, uh, over our lifespan, when you watch movies, there are certain things that you learn. The first thing is when you watch a movie, you understand that all grocery shopping bags contain at least one stick of French bread. Has anybody ever noticed that? There's always at least one stick of French bread. Um, Once applied, lipstick will never rub off, even while scuba diving. (laughs) During all police investigations, it is necessary to visit a strip club at least once. All telephone numbers in America begin with the digits 555. Certain things you can learn uh, from Hollywood. The Eiffel Tower can be seen from any window in Paris. Should you wish to pass yourself off as a German officer, it will not be necessary to speak the language. A German accent will do. All bombs are fitted with electronic timing devices with large red readouts so you know exactly when they're going to go off. When paying for a taxi, don't look at your wallet as you take out a note. Just grab one at random and hand it over. It will always be the exact fare. A man will, will show no pain while taking the most ferocious beating, but will wince when a woman tries to clean his wounds. <clears throat> Some things that you can learn from Hollywood. Two more. When a plane is low on fuel, the hero, the hero usually taps the gas gauge as if that will help. And then lastly, dogs always know who's bad and they bark at them. So there are some things that I believe that you can learn from Hollywood. And there are some things that you're going to learn this morning, I believe, from, from the movie Bruce Almighty. And I'm going to give you the, the story of Bruce Almighty in a nutshell. Because some of you may not have seen it. Some of you are very familiar with it. My teenagers are very familiar with it because I just finished a series on this movie um, a couple weeks ago. But here's the story of Bruce Almighty. See, Bruce is a newscaster in uh, the town of Buffalo, New York. And Bruce is one of these up-and-coming guys. 
and he keeps getting passed over for the head anchor position. And Bruce basically has the worst day of his life, and he's played by Jim Carrey, if you don't know. Um, he has the worst day of his life. He thinks that he's going to get the head anchor position because the, the lead anchor is retiring, he's stepping down, and him and his arch rival, his nemesis, whatever you want to call him, are kind of fighting for the same job. And Bruce thinks that he gets the special he gets a special assignment out at Niagara Falls, and he thinks this is it. This is where they're going to announce that he gets the lead anchor position. And Bruce finds out while he's on the air that he gets passed over for it, and he's not very happy about it. And so in the process, he loses his job. He goes home. He starts complaining to his girlfriend. His girlfriend gets mad, starts giving him guilt trips. His dog keeps peeing all over the house. He keeps having all these problems, and they all just kind of come to a head in this one day. And Bruce is basically having the worst day of his life. And he continues to put the blame on God. And he goes out, he drives out, and he gets in a wreck because he's not really paying attention. And he blames God. He says, God, if you were doing your job, if you were really in charge, I wouldn't be having these problems. And Bruce proceeds to tell God that he thinks he can do a better job of running his own life. And well, this is where Hollywood comes in. And, and, and God comes in in the form of, of Morgan Freeman and says, Bruce, I'm really not happy about you complaining about the job I've been doing. And since you think you can do such a great job, I'm going to give you my powers. And so Bruce gets the powers of God. And I realize this will never happen, but it is Hollywood. And I think we can learn some things from this. Bruce gets the powers of God and he goes on to right some wrongs in his life. He goes on to perform some selfish acts of, of service. He goes on to perform some miracles that are all about advancing himself, righting some wrongs in his life, because he thinks that he can do a better job of running his life than God. But in the process of all this, things really start to fall apart for Bruce. And he realizes that being God, being in control of his own life, really isn't all it's cracked up to be. And he becomes miserable. And he finds out that the reason he's miserable is because Bruce is not wired to be God. And you know what I've found in my life? Is that I'm not wired to be God. And hopefully this afternoon, this, this morning, you guys will understand that you're not wired to be God. So we've got to deal with this desire to let God have control. Um, or to be in control of our own lives. So um, basically Bruce has a difficult time with having these powers. And, and, and he goes to God and says he doesn't know how to handle it. And, and, and God says, you know, it's really not that easy, is it? It's not that simple, having the powers of God. And so Bruce realizes that he's got to give God control. So today's sermon is simply called Be Almighty, How to Deal with the Desire to Be in Charge. Any of you like to be in charge? Any of you honest enough to say, hey, I like to be the main man? Yeah, Mark, I can see that. A lot of the teenagers are raising their hand. Some people really enjoy being in charge. Some people enjoy bossing other people around, giving their opinions, being the head honcho. I, I'm really not one of those kind of people, but I know what it's like to want to be in charge of my own household, to be the one that makes the final decision. And, and, and in 1 Timothy chapter 6, if you'll notice there on the top of your outlines, you see those verses. I'm going to read those real quick. And this is Paul addressing a, a, a young Timothy, and he's basically telling Timothy so, some, some very important advice. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 11 and 12. But you, Timothy, belong to God. Flee these things and pursue righteousness, goodness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. And so this morning, we're taking some, some ideas from a movie from Hollywood, but we're getting our truths about life 
and the principles that we need to apply to our life, we're getting them from Scripture. Okay? And so Paul was telling Timothy, Timothy, you belong to God. How do we deal with this desire to be in charge? Because some of us, we take, we take matters into our own hands. We have a real hard time having faith that God is really in control. We have a really hard time when times get tough of actually trusting that God knows what's best. And we decide to do what we think is best for ourselves. You know, I had an interesting, had an interesting retreat a, a few months back. I took a group of our, our leadership team and our, and our teenage, and our watermark. We took a group of teens up to McCall and had a leadership retreat. And it was very interesting, and some of them are grinning because they know where I'm going with this, but it was very interesting. I wanted to stretch these guys as leaders. I wanted to give them control for a little bit. And uh, it was interesting to see how some of them responded because I gave some responsibility of, of setting up dinner and, and choosing where we're going to go, how we're going to get there, how we're going to pay, what everybody's going to order, making sure everybody is, is in the van when we're supposed to leave. I gave, uh, I gave control to some to set up. We went ice skating. And so one of the teens was in charge of setting up the ice skating. One of the teenagers was in charge of devotions and prayer time. One of the teens was in charge of setting up breakfast. And I gave them control of these different areas. It was very interesting to see how some of them responded. Some of them had things all covered. They were under control. They had it all figured out. Some of them panicked. I, uh, we kind of we played off on Alyssa O'Brien, and uh, we played that Derek was lost, and she had to make a decision. Are we going back to the restaurant, or are we just going to leave him? And she was really frustrated. She didn't know what to do. She didn't know how to handle that situation. But it's always interesting working with teenagers. When you get a group of teenagers, we work with a, a group of about 25, 30 teenagers. And what I've found is when you're at activities, when you're on events with teenagers, typically if you have 30 teenagers, you usually have 30 chiefs, and no Indians. They all want to be in charge. They all want to be in control. And they'll tell you if you're not doing a good job. If you're messing up, if your message isn't any good, if they think they can do a better job, they will let you know most of the time. And Bruce was the same way. He was having a hard time with the way God was handling things in his own life. And he let God know what he felt. And God didn't like that very much. And so he gave him these powers. You know what? We're not very much like Bruce. We're not very different than Bruce, I should say. Because we like to take control of situations in our own life. We don't, it, it's not easy for our human nature to sit back and let God work things out. It's not easy to trust that God knows what's best sometimes. When life is falling apart, when finances are, are hurting, when your family is, is uh, just not doing well. It's not easy to sit back and say, God, you're in control of this. I'm going to follow you. We're a lot like Bruce sometimes. We have a difficult time letting God have control. And so I've learned that we're all a little bit this way. And, and this morning we're going to talk about how can we deal with this desire to be in charge. So look at your notes. Number one, if we're going to deal with this desire to be in charge, number one, you've got to stop playing God. Stop playing God. I've got a simple outline this morning, nothing real deep. And what I've, I've learned, I've tried to rack my brain to come up with something original that maybe you've never heard before or put it in a way you've never heard it. But what I've realized is that God's word kind of speaks for itself. If I can give you some basic points, you know what? I don't have to be original. I don't have to do something completely different than anybody's ever done it. God's word speaks for itself. So number one, if you're going to deal with this desire to be in charge, you want to give God control, you've got to stop playing God. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 11 says, But you, Timothy, belong to God. Circle that phrase, belong to God. 
Man, I love that. Timothy was Paul's student. He was his brightest student, his protege. Timothy was an up-and-coming preacher. He had a lot of flair. He had a lot of ability. He was probably a, a handsome young man. He probably came from a good pedigree. He had a good training. He had a good mentor. He just had it all going on. And Timothy, what I've realized <clears throat> for young preachers, and this is what Paul did with Timothy. Paul was, um, was in the middle of one of his missionary journeys and decided that since he couldn't be at the church of Ephesus, the church of Ephesus needed a leader. And they were... They were following some false doctrines and so paul decided i trust timothy enough that i'm going to send timothy to be in charge of this church to make sure that they're doing what is right and that they're following god's word and that they're serving christ and so timothy gets put in charge and usually what you find out with young people and i was actually talking to uh one of the girls that had graduated from our youth ministry this morning what i've learned from people that are young is that especially when you get into college you go one of two directions you either think you know it all, and you've got it all figured out, and I can't be taught anything, or you think you come away from church, or you come away from college, and you realize I'm really not as smart as I thought I was. And a lot of us are that way. We either think we know it all, or we think we don't know enough. And Timothy probably bent one of these two ways. And I have a feeling that Timothy was kind of a little bit hesitant because he was young, he didn't have a lot of confidence, and so he didn't. He had a hard time trusting in God. And so he probably wanted to take things into his own hands sometimes because he didn't really know how to lead very well at this point because he was still young, he was still green, he was fresh. And so Timothy got this letter from Paul and Paul said, listen, Timothy, no matter what happens, you belong to God. You are not your own. Look at, um, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. It says this. I love, this, I love this, uh, this, these verses as well because I just got done studying the... the first and second book of Corinthians and I just really this hits home to me because it's true for every one of us even though Paul was addressing the Corinthians it says this or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you whom you have from God and you are not your own for you are bought with a price man Paul's saying there listen people you are not your own you may want to take control of your own life and your own situation and your circumstances but God says I bought you with a price Take care of your body. Don't neglect me. Let me be in control because you belong to me. That's, that doesn't sit well with me sometimes. It, that's not easy for me to accept at times, but at other times it's very comforting to know that God is in control. Listen, guys, you don't play God. You pursue God. Our job is not to play God, but to pursue God, to belong to God. What, Whatever it is that's going on in your life, understand you are not your own. You belong to God. The situation is God. Stop playing God in your life. So if I belong to God, there's three implications there that we can kind of learn from this. There's three implications. Number one, the first implication is that if I belong to God, then my stuff belongs to God. Look at, uh, look at James chapter 1, verse 17. It says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father. Man, everything you own belongs to God. And you may say, man, I work hard for my money. I work hard training my kids. I work hard having a cohesive family unit. I do all these things and I want to be in control. Well, the fact is, is that whatever you own, whether it's finances, cars, land, spiritual gifts, 
whether it's houses, whether it's your children. Listen, those things in your life, the clothes on your back, you realize those are not your own. Your stuff belongs to God. Now, here's a, a good little test for you to kind of test yourself on some of the different things in your life. Here's how to test whether your stuff belongs to either you or to God. If you can give it away, if you can lose it, or you can share it, it belongs to God. If you're selfish with it, if you hoard it and want to keep it to yourself, it belongs to you. But the Bible is very clear that nothing we have is our own. It all belongs to God. That's, that's from James chapter 1, verse 17. It's all God's stuff. He manages, he manages it. There's nothing in my life that God hasn't given me and that God cannot manage. And there's nothing in your life that God wants you to keep. Do you realize that everything given to you, God wants you to give away? Think about your salvation. Does God want you to keep that for yourself? Your relationship with Christ? Is that all about, it's all about me, and it's all about my relationship with Christ, and I don't feel like I have to share that with anybody? No, man. That's why God gave us the Great Commission. Go out and share the gospel with everybody so that they can have salvation. Think about your kids. I've got a daughter that's two years old, and hopefully in 25 or 30 years, I'll give her away to some young strapping gentleman that will love her. I'm going to give her away. My kids are not my own. And, and one day, if God willing, if she decides she wants to go into ministry, I'm going to give her to God. And I'm going to say, God, wherever you want to take her, she's yours. She's not mine. Think about your money. God has commanded us to give, whether it's to church, whether it's to the poor, whether it's to needy causes. Man, your money is not to be kept. It's to be given away. And that's a hard thing for me to handle sometimes because I like my money. But God wants us to give it away. Everything you have is meant to be given away, to be shared. So the first thing, the first implication is my stuff belongs to God if I do. Secondly, if I belong to God, my surroundings belong to God. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Man, our surroundings are not always good. The things going on in our lives are not always easy. There are a lot of bad things happening to good people. There are bad things that happen to good families. There are bad situations that every one of us have to deal with. The Bible doesn't say that all things are good and that everything that happens in our life will be easy and it will be good, but the Bible says that all things work together for good. And your surroundings, guys, whether it's career problems, whether it's physical problems or spiritual or emotional problems or family problems, your surroundings belong to God. The things that surround your life, good or bad, they belong to God. And that's comforting for me to know. To know that when life is at its toughest, God still has it under control. I don't have to figure out all the answers. I don't have to solve and come up with all the solutions. God has it under control. My surroundings belong to God. Just as an example, Becky, um, Becky had a couple job interviews um, this week. Uh, I like to spend money. I don't have a lot of it. So I asked my wife to go get a job so I can spend her money. Um, I like that. Like that idea? No. We got some bills that we got to pay off. And I, we talked about it. And I said, Becky, we're, we really need to come up with some more finances somewhere. Um, and so if you could go get a job, that would be great. And so she had a couple job interviews this week. And she had a job interview that on Friday, was it Friday or Thursday? The, the second one, the one you had two interviews. 
Thursday. She had, she had a job interview on Thursday that she really kind of wanted. And she was looking forward to this. And she actually went to the first job interview. And then she had a second job interview that same day. And it was really looking good. And she kind of came home bummed out after the second interview. She didn't feel like it went real well. And she didn't have a really good feel about it. And I said, listen, you know what? No matter what happens, you did your part. We prayed about this. We gave this situation to God. He's in control. If you don't get this job, it wasn't yours to lose. If you get this job, it wasn't yours to gain. Boy, that's really good to feel. Because I had a piece about that. It's like, no matter what, God's will is going to be done. My surroundings belong to God. If she gets this, great. It, God gave it to her. If she doesn't get this, it's because God didn't want her to have it. I'm at peace with that. That's good to know because my surroundings belong to God. If I belong to God, number three, my status belongs to God. My status belongs to God. First Thessalonians chapter four says this, this should be your ambition to live a quiet life. As a result, people who are not Christians will respect the way you live. Man, that's a really good verse because I, I just talked to a, a, a lady in our church this last week. She was really struggling. She's got a husband that's not saved. It wants nothing to do with God, wants nothing to do with church. And she's starting to feel torn between her loyalties to her husband and her loyalties to God and to the church. Because her husband kind of wants her to pull her out of church a little bit. And she's really struggling with that because she wants to be involved. And she came in to me and looking for advice. And I, I, I was honest with her. I said, listen, I really don't have an easy answer for you. But I will tell you this. No matter what you do, your testimony to your husband is so important. You've got to be so careful how you respond to him, how you interact with him, how you handle the situation. You've got to handle it delicately because you may be the only Jesus he ever sees. And I just said, listen, that's a lot of pressure and it's a big opportunity. But I said, however you handle this, know that God is in control. Know that your status belongs to God. I actually talked to the teenagers about this last week. Um, last Sunday night, I said, listen, um, some people don't have the same convictions about music and dress and speech and attitudes and TV and the Internet. Some people can't handle certain music. Some people can't go to certain movies because their mind, they can't allow them to go there. Some people can't handle certain kinds of dress. I told the teenagers this last week, based on the Bible, based on Paul's writing in 1 Corinthians, and the fact that you are not your own, Paul said, whatever I do, maybe I'm not convicted about eating meat given to idols. He was talking to the Corinthians, he was saying, listen, you guys have a real problem with this, but for me, I have no issue with it. It's not a big deal. They're not real gods, they're, not, they're just idols, they're just statues. It's no big deal to eat meat that was offered to idols. But the Corinthians had a real big problem with this. And so Paul said, so that I don't cause others to stumble, weaker people to stumble, I won't do this when I'm around them. And I told the teenagers last week, maybe it's your music. You may not have an issue with your music, and, and this can go for anybody. You may not have an issue with something in your life, but if it's causing somebody else to stumble, Paul says you've got to cut it out. Don't do it around them. Your life is not your own. We like our freedom. We like our grace. We like to say, oh, God, God gives me the freedom to do this or that. But the fact is that God gives you a freedom, but your choices 
don't exist inside of a vacuum. Your choices affect other people. And if other people are stumbling non-Christians or weaker brothers and sisters in Christ, if they're stumbling because of your choices, you've got you've to cut those choices out. You've got to change your lifestyle. The Bible says our status belongs to God. Those things surrounding us belong to God. Our stuff belongs to God. Our standing with other people belongs to God. So first of all, we've got to stop playing God. Say no to being me almighty. And so if we're going to say no to some things, I also want to say yes to some things. Number two, if we're going to say yes to some things, we need to start pursuing godliness. Start pursuing godliness. First, First Timothy chapter six, once again, um, verse 11 says, so run from all these things, all these evil things, and follow what is right and good. Pursue a godly life along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Paul says, if you want to pursue godliness, you've got to say no to some things, but you've also got to say yes. You've also got to pursue some things. If you want to have a godly life, you've got to pursue four things that I'm going to give you real quick. Four things that you've got to say yes to. That Paul gave us right there. You can probably fill in the blanks yourself. You can probably figure it out. Number one, the first thing that Paul wants us or God wants us to pursue is faith. Pursue faith if you're going to pursue godliness. You do that by pursuing faith. Faith is not a coincidence. Faith doesn't just happen. Faith for many people is a long journey. Because most people, the first time they hear the gospel, they're not ready to accept Jesus Christ. Some people it takes years and years and years some people, maybe it's a couple of days. Some people, maybe it's a couple of decades. But faith is a journey. It's not a coincidence. It's not a coincidence that any of you in here have a relationship with Christ. Faith is a journey. Pursue it. It doesn't just arrive and just give you this ability to believe in God. Romans chapter 10, verse 17 so says, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. One way that we grow in our faith is by getting into the Bible. Man, this is so simple, but so neglected. I mean, think about it. And don't answer this out loud. When was the last time you really got into your Bible? You know, Pastor Mike, myself, Mark, whoever, will tell you this a thousand times till you're blue in the face. But if you're going to pursue faith, you've got to get in your Bible. And so many times we say, oh, Chris, I don't have time. I can't find time in my busy schedule with, with all the traveling, with all the, uh, the kids' sports, with all the, the family things going on, with all the holidays, with the summer, with my job. I just can't find time. This is so simple, people. If you cannot find time to read your Bible, you are way too busy. If you're going to pursue godliness, if you want to become like Christ, you've got to know the mind of Christ. And you don't just get that by osmosis. You don't, is it osmosis, where you put the Bible over your head and you fall asleep? That's not how it works. You've got to get in the Bible. You've got to read it. You've got to study it. You know what I'm doing right now? I'm doing something a little bit different that I've never done before. Um, I actually got this uh, thing off the internet. It was a free gift, but it came in the mail this, uh, a couple weeks ago, and I got it, and it's, uh, it's the whole Bible on compact disc. Uh, this is really cool, because sometimes I do have a hard time finding time to read my Bible. I mean, I'm a human like everybody else. Sometimes I just don't feel like reading. I'm human. But when I get in the car now, instead of popping in a CD or listening to KTSY or Air One or Dan Patrick Radio or Jim Rome on, their, on talk show radio, I'll pop in a CD and I'll listen to the Bible. That's a way of getting into the Word. 
You know what else I do when I read the Bible? I've got a study Bible. It's called the Life Application Bible. And I read it in the New Living Translation. I love it. I learn so many different things because I can understand the language. It's really simple. And at the bottom of all the scripture, at the bottom of the page, it gives you all these study notes that help you understand the background of these scripture and what it really means. That's what I'm doing. I'm, ne I'm never done learning. And if you're going to become like Christ, if you're going to pursue godliness, you've got to get in the Word. My encouragement to you, get a Bible translation you can understand. Maybe get a devotional. Get a good devotional. I was over at Jim and Sherry's house this week, and, and, and Jim got, as a gift, he got uh, the book, uh, My Utmost for His Highest by Oswald Chambers. Man, that's a great devotional. If you've never read it, this guy wrote it back in the 30s, I think, but it's so practical, it's so good, and it's so deep sometimes, it'll really stretch you. Get a devo devotional. Get a, 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 a translation of Scripture that you can understand. Maybe start journaling, but you've got to get involved and get into God's Word if you're going to pursue faith. So that's the best way to get into God's Word is by uh, getting into the Bible, pursuing faith. The second thing you want to pursue is if you're going to pursue godliness, pursue love. Matthew 22, verse 39, it says, uh, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Circle the word as yourself, the two words there, as yourself. I love to circle things because that's kind of what sticks out to me. We sure do love ourselves, don't we? We pamper ourselves, we take care of ourselves, we make ourselves look good on Sunday mornings, and we spoil ourselves, we take ourselves to movies and out to eat, and we just take care of our bodies, and we want the best for our bodies and ourselves. But our neighbors, sometimes, are not so easy to get along with, are they? And you guys have a neighbor that you just mm, don't really get along with very well? Most of the teenagers. I got a neighbor, I got like, I got like five neighbors that don't and certain areas don't really sit well with me i've got one neighbor that lives right next door to me she's got this parrot it's some kind of huge bird and every once in a while it gets away from her it flies up on the top of somebody else's house and she's got to like call the fire department to come get it down and all this stuff but this parrot she'll get out in the summer and she'll be sitting outside and you just hear this parrot talking and it's like the most annoying thing in the world i've got this dog um this house behind us behind our backyard they have a dog that sounds like it's dying when it barks. It literally sounds like somebody is like strangling it to death or just putting it through torture. I've got another neighbor that lives about four houses down from us across the street. He has a, some sort of race car. I don't know if it's like a funny car or whatever, a drag, dragster car, but he fires it up at 10 o'clock at night and that thing is loud. You can hear it for like two or three streets over. I got another neighbor who lives right across the street. He's got like five, four girls that are all under the age of five. And, boy, he's a screamer. He just screams at his kids. And it's just one of those things that's like, man, my neighbors are all messed up. <laughs> They're hard. They're hard to get along with sometimes. You know what? The Bible says for me that I need to love teenagers as myself. That's not always easy to do either. Friday night. I'm a... It's midnight. I'm staying up late. We're watching The Princess Diaries on the Disney Channel. It's midnight. I get a call from a young lady in our church who just graduated from, from high school about a year ago. I'm not going to mention her name. But she has this uh, thing that she likes to go toilet papering people's house. So we're laying in bed watching The Princess Diaries, and it's midnight, and I've got the window open, the TV's on, and this girl calls me and says, Chris, you are lucky your window is open, you're lucky you're awake, because we were going to TP your house. I said, thank you very much for not doing that. Why don't you go TP Mark and Melissa's house? 
She said, she's like, they're awake. Their TV's on in the living room. I said, oh, they've got a stereo. They've got a sound system that's loud. They'll never hear you. So I'm thinking, oh, I'm free and clear. So I, 20 minutes later, thinking that they went to Mark and Melissa's house to TP them, I see these lights come on in our driveway, and I hear this car fire up and take off. I look out the window, and there's just white everywhere. And so I called this young lady up, and I said, I appreciate that very much. I needed some toilet paper, but didn't want to go to the store to get it. No, it's like sometimes teenagers, sometimes family, sometimes the people we love the most are difficult to love. But the Bible says, is that not true? Sometimes the people closest to you are the ones that drive you nuts the most. My wife will definitely agree to that. Um, But listen, if we're going to pursue love, If we want to pursue godliness, one of the best ways for you to pursue love within God's church, within God's family, is by getting into a small group. So write that down in your blank. If you want to pursue love, one way we can grow in love is by pursuing or by getting involved in a small group. And I don't know about your, maybe you're not in a small group, maybe you are in a small group. I know ours, we started it about a year and a half, two years ago. We started meeting on a pretty regular basis And I know that I've built relationships with the people that are in my small group. We get together and have barbecues. We get together and and maybe we watch each other's kids. We share our struggles with each other. We share our praises with each other, our successes. We get together about every other week and we study God's word together. We pray together. And I'll tell you what, those people that are in our small group, we have developed relationships with that we may never have, have done otherwise. And I'll tell you this. Even in a church our size, we got a lot of people that are out of town today that are, that are not here for whatever reason. But even in a church of our size, look around you today. There's probably about 70 people in here, maybe 80 people. It's easy to get lost. We're no mega church by any means, but even a church the size of 100, 150, you can get lost in. We have teenagers that come into our ministry every year, and we run about 30, and teenagers get lost all the time. Don't get lost. Grow in love by getting involved in a small group. I know some of you guys are in small groups and you go to movies together. You watch each other's kids. You go to dinner together. You go on vacation together. You go fishing together. You go golfing together. You do all these things and you develop loving, intimate relationship among friends that you may not have developed otherwise. Pursue godliness by pursuing love. Pursue love by getting involved in a small group. Mark's got all kinds of information he can give you. He can get you plugged into one if you're not already. I I promise you, you won't regret it if you get involved in a small group. And then lastly, actually, um, number three, sorry, pursue perseverance. You want to pursue godliness. You want to grow and you get the mind of Christ. You got to pursue perseverance. Um, James chapter one, verse two says this. I got it it down there twice. You're going to see it on your nose twice because I wanted to read it in two different translations. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. James chapter 1, verse 2 and 3 in a different translation says, Dear brothers and sisters, whenever troubles come your way, let it be an opportunity for joy. For when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this here this morning, but I want you to understand that if you're going to grow in perseverance, one of the ways that you can grow is by going through trials. In our lives, 
the one thing that we tell ourselves is that when tough times come and when conflict comes, the one thing I want to do is run. I want to avoid it at all costs because I don't like pain. I don't like rejection. I don't like conflict, so I'm going to run. And the Bible says is that one of the ways that you can grow in your endurance and in perseverance is by going through trials. Understand that when, when God brings trials your way, no matter what it is, it can stretch you. Think about what your life would be like if you never went through a tough time. We'd probably be spoiled, selfish, immature people. But we go through tough times and it grows us. It stretches us spiritually. It matures us. Trials can be a good thing. Pursue perseverance and allow yourself to go through trials. Number four, pursue gentleness. Pursue gentleness. First Corinthians chapter four, verse 21 says, shall I come to you with a rod or in love and a spirit of gentleness? Man, Paul was one of those guys, he realized that the tendency human nature is to use force. And he was dealing with the, with the Corinthian church and they were allowing false teaching to get, involved and get into their church. They were giving up on the grace that they had and they were following these legalistic teachers. And they had kind of reverted from this life of salvation and grace and they're falling away because they're letting people come in and teach a false gospel. And Paul was very frustrated because he had invested his life into these people. And they were his spiritual children, so to speak. And he was getting very frustrated that they were falling away from God, that they were allowing these false teachers to get involved. And so Paul was getting very frustrated and very mad and very angry. And I'm sure Paul wanted to go and wring a few necks in the Corinthian church. But he realized that sometimes force isn't the best solution. And I've kind of learned that in six years of marriage, I, I married a sanguine, and if you don't know what a sanguine is, it's a, it's a person that loves to be the life of the party, is very up at times, very down at times, and is very emotional at times. And I've realized I grew up in a family where we yelled, we screamed, uh, we raised our voices, we did what it took to get our point across. And Becky, when she first met my family, that was a culture shock for her. And so when I tried to deal with Becky that way, boy, she clam up. She could not deal with that. So I've learned that I can't deal with my wife with force. I can't yell at her. I can't lose my temper with her. And I do sometimes, but I, I do my best not to, okay? Um, but I've learned that force isn't always necessarily the best solution. Sometimes the best way to grow through gentleness is by using finesse over force. Use finesse over force. I, I kind of learned this. Uh, when I went to Ohio the first time after Sydney was born. She was about three months old. I can't exactly, can't exactly remember how old she was, but she was about three months old, and we took her to see my family for the first time. And we were excited about that, and I'll tell you this. I got, my, I, I got a brother. Uh, you think I'm a big guy. Uh, I got a brother that's about six foot two. He's about, there you go, 340 pounds. And here's this guy that even to this day, I don't mess with him. He is a big dude, and he, he's also a big teddy bear, as you'll see in the next picture. Um, he, loves, he loves to be with kids. Here's this guy that has total force available. I mean, he could whoop me, but he's using complete finesse. He's holding my little three-month-old daughter like a, a running back would hold a football, just cradling her, and he wasn't going to let anything happen to her. Man, the Bible says is that we need to be like that with other people. We need to pursue gentleness. Now, here's a good test. How are you going to respond, like Mark said earlier, 
when someone steals your remote when you get at home today and you want to watch NASCAR or baseball or uh, whatever's on TV, how are you going to respond when that guy cuts you off in the intersection? How are you going to respond when your teenager is late for curfew or when your daughter or son spills grape juice on the carpet because they weren't paying attention? Use finesse over force. The more gentle you become, the more Christ-like you become. So here's what I want to do today in closing. I want to give you one little exercise. This is what Paul said to Timothy. Timothy, I trust you. I love you. You've got a great future ahead of you, but I want you to remember one thing. It's not about you. It's not about you belonging to yourself. You belong to God. This life, people here at, at Eagle Heights, your life is not about you. You belong to God. You're doing a great job. But remember, when you want to take matters into your own hands, let God be in control. Let God take charge. Don't take charge of your life like Bruce tried to do in the movie. So here's the one exercise I want to, I want to leave you with today. Look through that outline. All those blanks that you filled in. I want you to put an asterisk or a check mark or circle or underline or do something next to one point that kind of hits home for you. You see, I've realized this. No matter what the message is, in 17 years of being a Christian and six years of, of youth ministry, I've realized that if I come to church ready to hear from God, no matter what the message content is, I will learn something. There's something in this message for everybody today. What's that one thing that you need to work on? That one thing that hits home for you? Circle it. Work on it this week. That's my challenge to you. Stop playing God. Start pursuing godliness. That's what I got for you guys today. Let's, I want to take some time right now. Everybody bowing their heads, closing their eyes. I, mean, I feel like I would be doing a disservice if I didn't give you guys an opportunity to respond to what was just said. You see, there might be somebody in here right now, as no one's looking around, no one's peeking, I'm not here to embarrass anybody. But you might be here today and you might be saying, you know what, my whole life I've tried to do things my way. My whole life I've tried to earn God's favor. I've tried to be a good person because I know it's what God wants me to be and maybe I can earn my way into heaven because of me being a good person. Or maybe you're going through something right now and you're just trying to take control. And you know you've got to give that trust to God. Here's my question this morning. If you're here today and you say, Chris, I've never given my life to God. I've never asked him to be the Lord of my life. And when, when I say the Lord of your life, that means you've never asked him to be in control. You've never asked for forgiveness for your sins and asked Jesus Christ to come in and take control. Man, if you're here today and you say, Chris, I've never done that, but I would like to. I would like to start fresh. I would like to know that when I, when I give my life to God, I've secured an eternity in heaven. I've begun a relationship with him. If you're here today and you say, Chris, I've never done that. I would like to, but I'm not really sure how to do it. Why don't you just real quick, raise your hand. Just raise it up real quick. I'd love to show you pray a prayer with you and encourage you to give your life to God. 
Well, no one's looking around. If, 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 that's, if you say, that's me, I need to give my life to God today. Go ahead and raise your hand. Okay, by the looks of things, it looks like everybody in here has a relationship with Christ. And I trust that you're all telling the truth. Maybe you're here today and you've had a relationship with God for several years. But you're struggling with giving God control of your kids. Giving up your finances. Giving up that situation at work where someone's trying to ruin your reputation. Where somebody's trying to take your job. Maybe that's what you're struggling with today. And you need to give God control. My challenge to you today is as Mark kind of leads us in a song, just take some time to pray and let God have control.